You're listening to The Midwest Goodbye, a crime and paranormal podcast exploring the dark mysteries of America's flyover states. Listener discretion is advised. for the podcast. Ready. Hello and welcome. This is the Midwest Goodbye. Oh, I'm hi Meg. there. This is Kirsten. What's up, friends? We don't... We don't. <laughs> <laughs> Fine, we still don't know how to do this. So. Nope. I mean, I think it's going to take a good, like, 58. Episode 58, if we don't have our shit together, let's pack then up. You can, then you can leave. Then yeah. you can call it quits. But please hang in until at least episode... F- oh, can I make a bid for episode 69? Oh, uh, nice. yes, nice. Uh, but hey, uh, hot hot dish. I don't, I don't really have anything. Um, No, there's... I mean, we're still beginning, so I mean, if you want to know a little bit about us, like, we could, like say something but i don't can't really think of much (laughs) stuff i mean that is that is the thing meg breaks out in a song all the time i do it's song lyrics it's gonna happen how my family processes trauma (laughs) hey (laughs) self-deprecating humor so um and i like struggle to find song lyrics and just say them as matter-of-factly, instead of singing. Because nobody wants that. That's why we make a good team. Yes. I recognize the songs you're singing. Great. That's the whole point. <laughs> so, you and maybe two other people. Hmm. That's all I care about. You know, I'm here for you. Thank you. That's what I appreciate about you. Well, oh. welcome. I'm, I'm running this here shit show today. And we are going to cover the Ohio State Penitentiary. Ohio is not just for lovers, friends. It is also for... Corn. Yes. And the penitentiary. Also called the Mansfield Reformatory or the Ohio State Reformatory. It's all kind of... Is it? Is it in a town called Mansfield? It sure is. Oh my is. god! It's like you know what I'm talking about. I'm, oh, it's kind of like I know how like, unimaginative people can fucking be. Right? Sometimes. Especially <laughs> Did in... you... Okay. Sorry. A little bit of hot dish. Okay. But, or also, also not. I just learned about, like, you know, the Minnesota 10,000 Lakes and all that jazz. You've lived here, like, your whole ass I, life. What? I know, I, I know. Did you know we have a lot of, sh- we have a fuck ton of lakes what? here? Oh, no. I was talking about, like, the names of the lakes. Oh, okay. They're, like, all, fu- like, if you really go down to it, like, the most, co- like, there's repeated names. And it's, like, Long Lake, Big Lake. And like middle lake. Like there's like we such, can't think of other shit. Such creativity. I just know. Sorry, wow. that just made me remind that just reminded me of the Ten Thousand Lakes and it pertains because this is a Midwest goodbye. Hello there. That's funny. Uh so for today's episode I used uh bloodprison.com. Oh god. That's if you want to visit the reformatory. Uh, ghostlyworld.org like Ohio. an Airbnb situation mm, we'll get to it Ooh. Uh, ghostlyworld.org ohiohistory.org and then the Ohio State Reformatory does have its own historical archive website that you can check out it's full of a lot of really cool pictures and stuff 
And then I did find this website called the ZIN, Z-I-N-N, educationproject.org. Basically, the goal of the ZIN project is to talk about all of the shit that our history books did not cover. Oh, so a lot. So much. I could get lost on this website for fucking hours. I think it's a really good idea for me not to go on this website. It covered so much. I definitely flagged it for future episodes. I am excited to have found it. I can't even imagine if I were to go on that website with, like, on one of those days where I forget to take my Adderall. It's done. Day, night, gone. Next morning. Done for. Probably. Gone. Oh, my God. a good 48 of your hours. One time I forgot to take my Adderall, and at work, it was a slow night. I just researched how to make cheese for three hours. Did you find that really nice guy, older guy on YouTube, like the cheese No, wizard? I couldn't watch YouTube because, I, I mean, it was slow, but, like, I didn't feel comfortable other than reading articles. If you ever want to jump back down that rabbit hole, there's a very nice elderly gentleman who makes YouTube videos, and he reviews cheeses, and he talks <sighs> about cheese pairings and how to make cheese. Like, he's a master cheesemaker, and he's so cute. I... I'm imagining his name as Norman. You know, it's escaping me right now, so I'll send it to you later. But, yeah, you know how, like, people who are, like, looking for houses and mm-hmm. whatever, they're like, oh, this this is going to be the man cave, or this, this is a great area for the she shed. Fuck that noise. I'm going to, like, my, if I'm ever going to, like, feel confident enough to go for a house, I'm going to get a cheese cave. Hell yeah. That's what I need. I support this creative endeavor in its fullness. Penitentiary. Penitentiary. So, uh, the Ohio State Penitentiary is also called Mansfield Reformatory, and it's in Mansfield, Ohio. Oh my god. Spoiler. So, also, if for some of you this place sounds like it's a little familiar, it's because it was used as the film set for the 1994 Shawshank Redemption. I was going to ask that. Oh, my Fun God. Fun fact. Oh, my God. I was going to ask. So, the history of the prison is kind of a long one. Uh, the I'm first sure. stone of the prison itself was laid in November of 1886. But they had been talking about using the land in kind of like a productive manner since 1862. The original plan was to take the grounds of the now reformatory and use it as a training ground during the Civil War. And they did that. This was also known as Camp Mordecai Bartley. That's way more imaginative. I mean, it's probably named after people, but like Mordecai and Bartley. Named after the Ohio State Governor from the 1840s, who was from Mansfield, Ohio. Oh my god. So not imaginative at all. But the name's pretty cool. It's all coming together. So then... In 1867, the city of Mansfield raised over $10,000 to purchase the first 30 acres of land that would make up the grounds. The state of Ohio contributed an additional 150 acres after buying the land for about 20k. They just assume there's going to be a lot of bad dudes. They're and... they're banking on this. They're like, man, if 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 there's not enough bad dudes, we'll make bad dudes pretty to put much. in there. Pretty much. So I'm going to refer to it as a prison for reasons that will be revealed. But a lot of the stories that were written about the grounds called it a reformatory. And it was spun (laughs) in a particular way and you'll see why. Rose tinted glasses, yes. 
Yeah, so the prison itself would cost over $1.3 million at the time. I know. I went to the inflation calculator. 1886? Yeah. Oh. I went to the inflation calculator. $24.5 million. Fuck. Mm-hmm. If it was built today. Fun fact. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, Levi T. Schofield was an architect from Cleveland, and he was hired to design the prison. He based his designs using three different, like, categories of architecture. Some... Which I'm just going to be real honest with you. I couldn't even begin to tell you how to differentiate or why they were important. Or I, I, could I look not... at buildings and I'm like, that looks cool. Like, yeah. I couldn't tell you. That looks neat. But I could not begin to tell you how to recognize the differences in the wild. I did see an article that described it as a half German castle, half church. Which if you look at the first photo that I have provided I see to that. Kirsten. I do. I like, it's, it looks gorgeous like it looks really oh it's, my god it looks huge. like it looks like a oxford like england like mm. college or but like slash san francisco townhome yeah a little bit like it's like i don't know it's really interesting it's very striking to look at so then on september 17th of 1896 the prison officially opened and it was a party oh my god i bet uh, 150 inmates were transferred Did into the, first the reformatory. 100 people go in and get, like, a free, like, I don't know, gift bag? Uh, you're close. Cigars, apparently. Oh, shit. I was totally kidding. <laughs> no. I, oh, nope. my God. <laughs> so. That is ridiculous. Yeah. The Columbus Evening Press wrote about the opening of the, the prison, and they described a lot of these prisoners as if they were, like, celebrities. Like, the best of the best got to go there. Yeah, you had to be a real asshole to get yourself in this place. (laughs) Uh, A lot of, like, and on their way in, the prisoners were given cigars. It was, like, a big thing. Um, Just lots and lots of pomp and circumstance and, like, self-patting on the back. So the goal of the prison, So almost like going to the prison is, like, a status symbol. At this point, yeah. Wow. It was hot, hot gossip. So at this point, the goal of the reformatory was to take these higher-level criminals and rehabilitate them so that it could abide by their parole and become contributing members of society. That sounds wonderful. Sure does. So with this reformation being the goal, inmates were also provided an education. There's a photo that I gave to you of, you'll see like desks and there's a bunch of guys in jumpsuits like clearly sitting in class, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, they all look young, though, too. Yeah, which the prisoners ranged in age from 16 to 30 years old. Jesus, 16? Mm-hmm. I mean, I get that, like, 11-year-olds got, sh- like, sent out to to make money for their household around that time, but, like, goddamn. No, they were, like, repeat offender, like, teen criminals. So the superintendent at the time was quoted saying that reform, rather than punishment, is the ultimate objective of the Ohio State Reformatory. Yeah. Therefore, one of the most important units in this walled city of the reformatory is its school system. Reading, writing, mathematics, and social studies, as well as other trades like engineering, plumbing, and mechanics were taught to the inmates. Mm. So the inmates who got in, like, right off the bat, the early inmates... They were given the rehabilitation tools to kind of 
hopefully change the trajectory of their life and, you know, function as solo living adults. Yeah, in this picture, it doesn't look like they suffer from, like, the overcrowding situation that we deal with today's public school systems. We'll get to it. Okay. It was basically meant to be somewhere between, like, a boarding school and a prison. Right. So. Oh, like, could you, like, if your family was, like, wealthy enough, could you send, like, a quote-unquote problem teen to the reformatory, like, as, like, like, they could pay for that service? Not that I saw. And after some time, they probably would not have wanted to, even if it was an option. So, of course, this ended up not being the case at all. That's why I'm talking about it today. It's a dream. So despite the fact that the prison was open and that the designer of the prison was recognized publicly by the governor, the prison wasn't actually done when they moved in. (sighs) As soon as those first 150 inmates made their way into the reformatory, they were put to work building the sewer system and a 25-foot wall around the perimeter of the grounds. I feel like those are one and two things you do. Mm, yeah. I mean, I'm no... I'm, I mean, maybe the wall not, but, like, maybe, like, in sewer. general, but in a prison, maybe yeah. the wall is, like, one or two, maybe you know, three. I'm no construction foreman, but... The sewer. I'm pretty sure that's an important step one. Right. Uh, So... Like I mentioned, uh, the first group of men who inhabited the prison were between the ages of 16 and 30, and life on the inside of the walls of the reformatory was incredibly dangerous. Hidden in the walls, historians have found shanks, shivs, dice, other contraband that would have been taken by the guards Mm -hmm. or the superintendent. One thing that I found personally interesting was that some inmates would make a tattoo gun out of a toothbrush a clock motor, a ballpoint pen, a little bit of wire, and some duct tape. Dude, like, if you left me alone with those materials, let's just say 15 years, I don't think, I think I would be, I would, like, set the clock to brush my teeth. (laughs) And that is as far as I would have gotten. Yeah, I I would not have had the foresight to be like, tattoo gun, hell yeah. My God. Bring it on. Uh, staff members would apparently live inside of the prison grounds, and mm-hmm. naturally, the warden's quarters were fit for a king. Oh, yeah. You know, for-profit Why? prison. Duh. Obviously. Uh, the prison itself was closed in December of 1990 by a federal order due to unfit and cruel conditions for the prison. And, oh boy. Can you imagine? I mean, I bet you can because you researched it, but like... Mm-hmm. In that time, for them to acknowledge that, like, the dregs of society got, like, a we're, shit deal. We're getting the shit end of the stick. Yeah. In the 90s. I'd, yeah. It, we, we oh, oh, buddy. Buckle up, buttercup. Mm. First, let's talk about overcrowding. <laughs> so the reformatory cell blocks, they were stacked five to six stories high, depending on where you are in the prison grounds. Originally, it was designed to hold about 2,000 inmates altogether, with one person per cell. By 1934, some of the rooms already had two and three men in each room. Oh my god, that reminds me, there's this, like, um, an art gallery in Minneapolis that I 
visited once through school and once on my own and the same painting was there and it took up an entire wall mm-hmm. and it was like a chicken coop okay i i think i have a picture we can i can post it on the i can post it somewhere mm. but like it's like just um just stacks and stacks of chickens yeah in ca- it's the tiniest cages where they can't move and like shit is coming from top yeah. to the cages onto the bottom of the cages and you kind of immerse yourself into it like there's a, i'm standing in front of it like looking up at it it looks like i'm in it in like it. i'm yeah. surrounded by the smells the noise oh it's it was really intense and mm. you know when i did the school trip i had to um write a poem about a art piece within the art gallery and i chose mm-hmm. that particular piece and i i don't know i talked about how like life like is unfair and like you yeah. know like life isn't a rat in a maze it's a chicken in a coop and oh, reference the the that photo so i can like show you that in a yeah. little bit but like that would God probably damn. that would probably be very close to how a lot of these that's men what felt. you're describing <laughs> so in 1933 mm-hmm. there was it's kind of hard to tell it sounded like it was a group of like educators or people who were involved in potentially opening other prisons like this in different areas and they referred to the state of the prison as a disgrace and that no reformatory classes were actually occurring for the inmates oh so what was the classrooms being used for we'll get to it oh god (laughs) um punishment within the reformatory walls was intense men would be tied to posts and whipped dunked in cold tubs of water, starved, placed in isolation. They were hung by their wrists from the ceiling or placed in something called the sweat box. What's the sweat box? Are you sure you want to find out about the sweat box? I'm going to tell you regardless, but... So, basically, a prisoner would be placed in a very small, very hot room. For a very long period of time. How big was the room? I'm assuming big enough to stand in. Oh, they, no. Yeah, the smallest room they could find. Uh, dehyd- or it also sounded like rooms that were on, like, the sunniest wall of the grounds. Yeah. Uh, dehy- I've heard about that. Yeah. yeah. Dehydration, fatigue, heat exhaustion, and death could be consequences of the sweat box, depending on how long they were in there. Do you know what kind of infractions it would take to just get into the... Based on survivor testimony, it could be anything. If you looked at a guard the wrong way, you could be punished. God damn it. Yeah. And it also, it's like the absolute power corrupts absolutely kind of bullshit. Mm-hmm. And then you create an us-against-them mentality between... Yep. Oof. Yeah, and it at this point, it was further compounded to every man for himself not even just prisoners versus staff so it was a very hostile and very dangerous environment to live in uh the food that the prisoners ate if you want to call it that yeah usually consisted of and this starts off okay cornbread Mm -hmm. bacon and beans right i'm with you uh rest they were served on rusty plates and they weren't given forks knives spoons because danger uh, so some inmates fashioned like really crude spoons from broom handles. Okay, because yeah. yeah, I bet like they're like 
I mean, if the they can't even clean the trays from food, like everything is dirty. Mm-hmm. Their hands are gross. Which brings me to my next point. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> You're on it. Uh, they slept on haystacks, and blankets were only issued in the wintertime. In Ohio? In Ohio. Yes. That is a fucking brick built. Did I see? It is, uh, it I... is a brick building. You are correct. Wait. I don't see a one fuck. Oh, wait. Okay. In the sketch, I see chimneys. Were chimneys actually? I did not see, but. Like, there's a, like, in the picture she gave me, there's, like, an actual photo, which looks gorgeous. And then there's a sketch that looks like the dream of it, and I see multiple chimneys, but I don't see one in the actual photo. A lot of the building was uh, destroyed after it closed. Okay. But from what I was reading, they did not specify on the availability of heat sources for the inmates. I guess it might have been small favors that they had two to three in a cell. I don't know. I mean, (laughs) yeah, you're right. Because their clothes and the bedding were, if you want to call it that, bedding was disgusting and carried major diseases. Oh, God, I'm sure. Uh, Early in the time of the the prison, there wasn't a running laundry service. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And so this also creates a, a beautiful reservoir of infection. Um, yeah. With minimal medical treatment available to the inmates, uh, epidemics. It's like, not even dirt. It's like, I. It's everything. I, I feel like you, you're going to get into it, but there's rats. I know there's rats. I know there's lice. I know there's mites. I know there's everything under the sun. You're going to go into rats. Literally, my next sentence. God damn it. I'm so good, but I don't want to be right. <laughs> uh, dysentery and diarrhea killed many of the men. And in 1849, a cholera outbreak killed 116 of the prisoners in a block. As we could guess, poor living conditions, overcrowding, and a survival mentality led to more than several incidents of violence and death. I picked two stories, and it was hard to pick two, that stood out to me and really expressed the difficulty that these young men, Mm -hmm. they're young men, had. Well, you had to be. Like, it's it's like, have you seen an uh, old squirrel before? No. Like, that's what it fucking sounds like. Like, yeah. you, you age out of survival in this place at 43. Mm-hmm. Or, well, oh, God, what is it? That stupid, oh, it's, it's, there's a book behind you, I'm sure. It's a movie, the... A movie where, like, if once you turn 30, you, like, just die. Uh, The Giver? I'm sure. I think that's one of them. I picked two of the stories that really stood out to me and expressed just the horror of living on these grounds. The first, in July, on July 21st of 1948, two former inmates kidnapped... The prison's farm superintendent, John Nabal, his wife, and their 20-year-old daughter from their home. So this is not, like, the warden superintendent. This is the farm superintendent. Because, Mm -hmm. of course, you know, they were producing a lot of goods and services for the Mansfield area and for the prison itself. Uh, 
these two inmates murdered this entire family in a cornfield and then gave way to a two-day chase, basically. One of the men was killed in a shootout with police when they were cornered, and the other was executed by electric chair on the prison grounds January of 1949. So just under a year later. So they killed the this farmer family just like to escape or as revenge for what they went through as they escaped it's unclear what their motive was at one point it's thought that it was supposed to be like a hostage negotiation situation it could have been retaliation for what they were experiencing we don't know and i i could not find anything in my research that gave a real reason i figured out the movie title or book title logan's run logan's run all right what a and then, so, jump back almost 10 years earlier, in April of 1930, 1930, 322 inmates were killed. Shut the fuck up. And 230 men were injured in a massive fire. Scaffolding around the building had ignited and the nearby construction material, lumber, kerosene, sawdust, tar provided the perfect kindling for this fire oh i'm fucking sure this next part though at the time of the fire did fire doors exist back then i can't even think right now we'll get to it at the time of the fire the prison population was four thousand two hundred let that sink in for a minute four thousand two hundred men in a prison built for two thousand so double the amount of double and wait okay and you have staff living in on the grounds as well wait okay so the so guards and the 360 322 22 died yep and another 200 230 were injured in some way i'm dumb at math but like this is like at least 20 percent of this population mm-hmm. well this is this is the the really fucking shitty part Guards refused to release inmates from their locked cells. The fire started in a ward of the prison. Well, yeah, where... you're in prison, so pff, you're locked up. That's the gig. Yeah, these were 800 men who had already had supper and were lo- and were locked for the night. So the guards refused to release these inmates. And then a group of 500 riflemen were set up along the grounds ready to shoot and kill anyone on the spot who attempted to use the fire as a means of escape none of these none of these riflemen or the guards offered to help these prisoners using the fire as a means of escape how about escaping from the fire just too bad did like if you just touch the grass like i just like hey i just wanted to be away from the fucking fire that's happening behind me if they thought you were a flight risk you out oh my that's like some and you know squid games level shit right there yeah mm-hmm. if i could sing that like if i didn't wouldn't sound extremely racist i would sing that little like song that in red song. light <laughs> yeah but red um light, green light. so okay wait with the 230 some that were injured like do we know like bunch of that had to been like dead from infection and like untreated wounds so 
I didn't see a whole lot of follow-up as to who actually died of infection, sepsis, or anything like that after. I did see that a few of the men managed to overpower guards for their keys and began to try and free as many of the men as possible before the blaze overtook. Which I'm sure is what saved the about half of the men in this wing that did survive. Absolutely. Because this was a wing of 800 that caught fire. So at the time, Chester Bomer Hines, who's an American writer, was a prisoner at the reformatory at the time of the fire. Mm -hmm. This is what he said after. Over the next few days, Hines saw the bodies of dead men left in the yard during the initial stages of cleanup. In the two weeks after the fire, the inmates refused to go back to work as protest for the guards' initial refusal to release the men from their cells when the fire started. These prisoners, once segregated by race and a capacity for violence, who had been observed doing heinous things to each other before the fire, became the men looking out for each other when the administration wouldn't. I didn't even really... I knew it, but I... I didn't think it, you know? Like, you said it, and I am like, mm-hmm. yeah, they were segregated. Mm-hmm. Do we know, like, what wing and whatever that the fire broke out? It does not specify. Um, if it if it helps you kind of paint the picture, um, Chester Himes is a black man. Okay. But, um, so... Those are just two of the many, many, many oh, I'm sure. stories yeah. from these grounds. And as you can imagine, the grounds of the reformatory are just steeped with haunting memories, death, and cruelty. It's a breeding ground for paranormal activity. Yeah, a lot of energy in that place, I'm sure. Yeah. So this is a paranormal episode. Mm. Uh, the official historical site for the reformatory lists that guests who come to visit have seen shadow people, have heard audible voices, footsteps, where they feel like somebody is just kind of lurking in the shadows and just those overwhelming feelings of dread. I'm just picturing myself like just in this place during the day and I like I'm creeped out. Like, yeah. Uh, if you scroll to some of the pictures, one of the places that staff say is a hot spot for paranormal activity uh, is the chapel. And apparently, this chapel has converted skeptics into believers of ghosts. Mm. So, despite the fact that we would typically consider, like, a chapel or a church a holy place, like, I always personally get the willies hardcore when I'm in an empty church. So, for me, yes, this checks out. Supposedly, spirits will lurk kind of throughout the space, and they'll show up as ghostly orbs in photographs. When inside of the chapel, you can hear phantom voices, and kind of, this is the part that I guess really freaks a lot of people out, is that hands will grab at you as you attempt to leave. Yeah. The Mm -hmm. fuck? Release. So then, there's another picture... It's the solitary cell block, or the hole. Yeah, sorry if you heard me, like, moving things around. It was a little cut off, so I was moving the picture up. Yep, so you have the chapel, and then you have Mm -hmm. the hole. A lot of men died by their own hand in the hole. Mm. It's another hot spot. Well, yeah, I mean, just today, I can't even, I don't even know how we are still putting people, like, 
in solitary or the whole it's like it's been neat deemed as like excessively cruel and unusual yeah it dam- it damages your psyche in truly almost uncharted ways when i saw pictures of the whole for the first time while doing my research i just got straight up bone chills i'm not even looking at the picture right now and i've got the willies like i mean the picture like to be fair doesn't look like a ton because you just see the door and the wall but the door is rather small like when i picture a cell block the bars go across the one entire length of wall but this is a very small door Mm -hmm. and then you can even see like there's light coming from the door and that's the only light in it. Yeah. Like, that's the only thing that's illuminating it. Yep. Like, it ha- it's illuminating one wall, and then it's just black. Yep. So the hole itself is in the basement, and it was meant to hold 20 men. At certain points, it has been documented that 100 oh my God. were stuffed into this small space. Visitors who I mean, take that's a tour. solitary, because, like... No. Apparently, though, it's... It's still, like, it's inhumane because it doesn't matter. You're, you're down there and that's it. There was another story that I read where two men were put into solitary mm-hmm. and only one came out alive. They have no oh, idea I'm what sure happened. that happened the, all the fucking time. Mm-hmm. So, at one point, multiple points, a hundred men were stuffed into this space at a time. And visitors who do the tours and go down to the solitary block say that they feel like somebody is breathing down their neck. Mm. They suddenly become very nauseous and they walk into like freezing cold spots within the room. Yeah. There's another place, and I didn't include a picture of this one, but there is a prisoner cemetery. 200 people are buried there out of the thousands who died on the grounds and apparently when you walk into the cemetery grounds everybody's cameras will stop working like phones will glitch out and staff who work the grounds will report that grave markers or memorial pieces will just like move on their own interesting Mm -hmm. because you wouldn't think as much of um Activity. I mean, I get it, like cemeteries and death and everything, but like, for how much shit happened within the walls, like mm-hmm. have things happening outside the walls, seems interesting to me. To me, it almost feels like like that would be the pole. Like if I were like a spirit that remained behind, like I don't know if I would hang out by like the rock on my name. I'd be like where like the activity was. Maybe it's just so crowded in there. There, that's the only that's place true. you have room. <laughs> that is true. Um, but yeah, I think too, like, I don't know if you've ever been to other, like, large historical sites like Gettysburg or anything like that. Not really as much. So, like, I went to Gettysburg. I went to the Great Wall of China. And, like, maybe then you'll be able to relate. So, when I walk, I went on a ghost walk to one of the battlegrounds at Gettysburg. Mm-hmm. Like, it's hard to describe how, like, walking into that space just felt so different. And I I think it's just, like, the intensity and the length of time that can really alter, like, almost warp the reality of a space and how it can make you feel walking into it even 100, 200 years after the fact. 
No, I've heard stories of that being, like, a super intense, like, experience. Like, I don't, yeah, I, I don't think I have, like, the closest I can think of, like, Again, like, it, it's nothing in America. I don't think, I don't remember any, like, super historical significant sites that I've visited. Like, there's historical markers and everything, but nothing like Gettysburg or anything. But right. I went to Tenement Square before, too, mm-hmm. but it was also, it was so crowded. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was not, like, a quiet yeah. reflection or anything. And also, obviously, like... They don't really talk about that bit, you know? No. And I, like, when we went to Salem this fall, mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever got to go to... Uh, I, I did. I I went to the site where the trials happened. Yeah. Because so, I, I, like, we were driving out of Salem, um, and it was, like, 2 a.m., and we were passing the Walgreens. I'm like, stop the car! Yeah. I'm like... The, this is where it was because yeah. I knew it was in a Walgreens parking lot, and so we drove behind it, and then we found the the memorial and the ginkgo yeah. tree. Yeah, mm-hmm. like I stood in front of the ginkgo tree, and that like, is yeah, fair. I I did do that. I left a little totem and everything. So did we. We uh, totem found us, and then we returned the totem when mm-hmm. we came to the site. It just like standing in front of the ginkgo tree. I don't know. It just. I think knowledge really feeds into how a space can make you feel. And so for me, the mm-hmm. fact that the entire grounds of the reformatory cemetery included have activity does not surprise me in the least. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think that's fair. Like with, especially with the skeptics, like there's like, I remember there was like a, I don't know, like a, I don't want to call it a Ted talk, but it was like, just like a, a talk. And they were talking about like, I think it was Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh, yeah. And then they passed around a sweater, and they said, this is the sweater he wore, or glasses, and people, like, couldn't pass it to the next person fast enough. Like, they acted like, yeah, you know, whatever. And then Hot it was re- revealed to them afterwards, like, that's just a sweater we picked up at Savers. I don't know. Like, or Goodwill. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but, like, because they had the influence of thinking that it was, like, a serial killer sweater, they had this feeling of energy coming from it, mm-hmm. and, like, it manifested in a way. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that makes it any less real. Like, in the sweater ca- case, for sure. But, like, in the way these sites or hauntings or, you know, these areas of great tragedy, people having the knowledge going in doesn't... I don't believe it ge- generally fuels it, but maybe makes it more visible, I guess. Like, it's there. Yeah, I think But, it... like, just knowledge helps people acknowledge what happened and, like, see, yeah. feel the people who were affected. Knowledge is power. Mm. But it, you know, I, I think knowing, too, about all of these things that happened... Even if you visit there as, like, an offset on an afternoon, like, knowing what you know when you walk into a specific area, in my opinion, that's one of the best ways that you can pay respect to the people that suffered under these conditions. And I, I totally agree with that. Like, 
and I think it it's just, important to acknowledge. Yeah. It just makes you take pause and instead of maybe taking a Snapchat pic, you're like, okay, I am standing in a cemetery where 200 people are buried after meeting early, awful, horrific, and untimely deaths mm-hmm. on the grounds of this prison. And lived in miserable, inhumane conditions mm-hmm. up until the moment the of their horrific. 90s. The 90s. Yeah. Well, even today, like, the there's, like, I I think it's just called prison loaf. And they just send it, they just give, like, this awful, like, blended meal that's just, it's called prison loaf. And it's just, like, whatever is left over, they blend it and bake it. And it's just this brick. And they give it to the men in solitary. And a lot of times it's just rotten like there's like mold and shit in it and everything look it up it it's a real thing and it's today this is happening you know i think the fact that we know and i i do appreciate what they have done with the grounds now and i think that that's a good way to recognize that we can be better and we should be better like a museum kind of situation of like we're not gonna erase what happened mm-hmm. kind of so, like how auschwitz is like a yeah. quote-unquote tourist a- attraction yeah so if you want to visit the grounds you can it's a good segue i kind of do so the mansfield reformatory preservation society is currently working to restore the entire facility to its original state um after the prison was closed in the 90s originally they were just going to demolish everything yeah. And then the reform like a 90s and then, thing. Yeah. Then the preservation and the historical society came in and they were like, no, we're not going to let you do that. So you can take uh, multiple tours. And one of them is actually led by a former inmate who lived on the grounds in the 60s. Interesting. Wait. Okay. So he lived on the grounds in the 60s. In the 60s. He was an inmate at the prison in the 60s. And he oh. leads one of the, the day tours. So a lot of the tour fees will go toward the Preservation Society. And they hope to remove old debris, replace some of the roofing, uh, complete restoration of the warden's quarters, as well as a complete and total restoration of the central guard room between the east and the west blocks. Uh, you can also donate if you like. Currently... All of the windows on the southeast cell block have been replaced, and the original stained glass windows that were in the building are currently in works of being replaced. In Halloween, you can tour the prison as a haunted house called the Blood Prison! Whoa! Yeah, they also have, like, ghost tours and just regular daytime tours. Uh, You can... If you've got the funds and the inkling and you really want to scare yourself shitless, uh, you can have a private ghost hunt on the grounds. Are you shitting me? I'm not. That sounds incredible. Right. Do they do they give you like your own ghost equipment? Do you have to show up? I didn't look that Wait, far. Wait, do you into just it? free for all it? I kinda hope so. Oh my god. <laughs> like just free all it in the reformatory. Jeez. Uh, you can also, every once in a while, pre-COVID, post-COVID, whenever the Portuguese water dog is done, uh, you can go to special ghost hunting events where they bring in, like, 
famous historians and celebrities. Zach Baggins. I hope so. I'm gonna I'm gonna try my darndest to bring in Zach Baggins as much as I can here. Uh, there's also fun fact. A tattoo festival, if that interests anyone. Oh, my God. It's in July of this year. Ooh. I wonder, like, I kind of love that, but I also, like, I really hope, like, there's, like, a line that they draw. I mean. Of what they tattoo on people there. If you think about it, a lot of tattoo culture does come from prison. I know. I get it. But, like, I don't want people, like, I kind of, I don't know how I feel about people getting, like, an inmate number or something. Oh, yeah. That would be. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's a line. There is absolutely a line. But just... There's an insane amount of... But yeah, prison tats are a thing. I get that. I just, like, I'm just talking about, like, let's be, you know, I don't know. Yeah, don't get... I went to the Ohio State Reformatory and all I got was this tattoo Mm. on your forehead. (laughs) (laughs) That's the Ohio State Reformatory. There is... That's our next vacation. Hey, it's just, there is an insane amount of history, and I feel like I did the reformatory and its victims zero justice. I mean, it sounds like it's, like, it's just an impossible task. There is so much to cover, and honestly, while I was doing the research, I, I really honestly thought that this sounded so familiar to the Eastern State Penitentiary, because that is what Ash and Alina over at Morbid did, and I was about to backpedal so fucking hard. And be like, I'm not worthy. We're not worthy. Because they did an... I mean, there's going to be some crossover. I know. But they just did an excellent, excellent job. But the thing that I think was interesting was that the way that prisons were handled then versus now is not that much different. Oh, no. It's not. And, oh, my God. It's just, like, it's so frustrating. Like, hmm. If we want to shout out, I mean... They don't need a shout out. They're massive, but they're like, glorious, and we love them. Well, morbid, but also like um, last podcast and left. Like they've yeah. been doing a lot of like their like, um, they do merch or you know a certain percentage of mm-hmm. like revenue that they give to the, like the last prisoner project where, mm-hmm. you know, they are trying to get people out for like the fucking piddly drug charges that don't yeah. make fucking sense yeah. you know um yeah. and you know ben from last podcast and i mean all of them but ben i hear it from the most because he's uh has more political leanings he has his own political podcast mm-hmm. um but like for-profit pr- prisons like they've been all of them been ranting and raving like how shit it is and how mm-hmm. it's like doesn't help anybody but like the small like the one percent that benefits from it yeah which i just it's everything is so fucking messy and like i yeah you know if you are interested in the history of how we got to where we got as far as prison modern day prison you this really is a, want to bum yourself if you out really want to be sad as fuck for about six weeks uh go ahead and look into other state reformatories and state sponsored prisons and it will i think get a lot of people thinking about what it's actually like because the the thing that i think a lot of people lean on for the justice system is that you know we have 
Judge Judy and we have all these TV shows and all these podcasts that talk about the crime itself. But also, there are people who... Let me rephrase this. So we have all of this like media attention about the crime itself and then oh, yeah. very conveniently this person just poof goes away. Yep. And we don't think about after. Everybody jokes about it, but we don't actually know. And while the there are people who do belong in shit show situations because of the bullshit that they did. Yeah. There are a lot of people who do not do so not fucking many deserve to be in a for-profit prison and there's like also people who deserve to be in prison but they deserve to have a second chance yeah and the way the system is made up these days is that they're locked up in prison mm-hmm. they do their time they're fucked yeah you know they are now part of the system they can't mm-hmm. get a livable wage they can't get housing. They turn to crime. They go back into the system. Which we just talked about with Jarrett. Yeah. Like, I mean, Jarrett, he was wrongfully accused, but, like, he met so many people who yeah. were in that boat where, I mean, yeah, he had it where he had no support even though he wasn't guilty of a crime. Yeah. He still suffered all of the consequences that just so unjust and i i can't remember it was probably a vice documentary that i ran across on youtube there was this guy that was interviewed and basically what he does is he meets uh men as they get out of prison usually on like federal large charges where they've been incarcerated for 15 years and up Mm -hmm. he meets them he has their ride out of prison he takes them to go get clothes and a meal and he like teaches them introduces them into the world teaches them how to use a fucking iphone honestly and like he talks about how little support there is for people who are trying to reintegrate and they interview the guy a little bit more extensively who is released in this particular documentary it's gonna kill me that i can't even begin to remember he sounds great because, like, I mean, I I turn off my fucking phone for a weekend and I don't know what anybody's talking about once I come go back to work or something. Yeah. Like, but, I can't. And, like, they, they interviewed the guy that was released in this particular documentary and he was like, you know, I, I was in for this very long period of time and I, I don't even know where a lot of my family lives now. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to apply for a job. I don't know how a phone works what like yeah they get all of the big news leadings about like who was elected president but they don't get like the the micro social aspects of society as to like what slang is acceptable now like how to speak to your peers at a job well yeah I mean it's all small talk if you can't like so many people, like, they so, hire people, like, on a vibe. There's so many people who are, like, applying for jobs and everything. Like, mm-hmm. the interview is the thing. If you can't vibe, then, like, they're going to go for the guy who can, like, hang and whatever. And if you don't know how to, like, 
communicate and like yeah you know meet people on like just that micro level like it it can hurt so much things even as simple as like how to maneuver a grocery store yeah self-checkout yeah all the apps coupon apps now Mm -hmm. i don't know it's prison systems like we can go on forever it frustrates the fuck out of me and like i don't know what we can do other than shout out into the sound waves about it along with all the other like massive successful podcasts here's a tiny little one who's also saying you can't escape listening to people bitch about how awful this situation is you're welcome suck it (laughs) and with that check out last prisoner project if you feel like this was just absolutely outraging do your research figure out where you can put some of your energy because the thing is regardless of who is talking about it the people who actually make a difference are the people listening to this Mm -hmm. write your letters email your senators get involved in a way that is feasible to you every little bit counts yes thank you for that well that I, I also, we're not going to do another Don't You Know just because... We went off again. Every time we talk about prisons, we just go off and we can't do it. Right. Prisons, social injustice. They get me going. So, <sighs> this has been the Midwest Goodbye. You can find us on Instagram at Midwest underscore goodbye underscore pod. You can find us at Gmail, MidwestGoodbyePod at gmail.com. Send us your stories, your topics. Fun facts about your state. Whatever you damn well please. Please don't send us pictures of your penis. No. No, no. That's a hard pass, my friend. Mm. Thanks for listening. I'm Kirsten. I'm Meg. Well...